0: Good morning. Welcome to Chanel. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here as well, too. I do want to comment. uh, I'm a little bit hoarse. It's not because I'm I'm finally becoming a man. I've been yelling at basketball. Uh, Just don't be like, oh, Bryce is a little more mature up here. Um, But regardless, we're glad that you're here with us. Now, this morning we continue our Why Not Me series with the story of Gideon. And we're going to spend a lot of time this morning in the book of Judges, chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Now, the story begins in a very similar way that a lot of the stories of Judges begin, with the Israelites doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So the difference here is that it's a different group of people that the Israelites find themselves in the hands of. The Israelites cry out to God because the Midianites are making life impossible for them. They cannot produce crops. They cannot tend to their animals. They cannot survive. Judges chapter six, verses five through six, records this: as they came up, the Midianites, with their livestock and their tents, like swarms of locusts, it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Gideon, So impoverished the Israelites, that so they cried out to the Lord for help. And like God has done time and time again in the story of Judges, God hears the cries of the people and responds. And in verse 11, the angel of the Lord visits Gideon. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Adonite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I want to stop and pause there for just a little bit and unpack this. Because at the time that the angel of the Lord approaches Gideon, I want you to see what he's doing. He's he's preparing this wine. He's in this wine press. But it's important to note that the wine press would have been at this lower elevation. Likely it would have been dug into the ground. Because as, as we looked at in verses 5 and 6, the Midianites are just destroying every type of land, any type of produce, any type of, of growth that the Israelites can have. They're destroying it. And so the story of Gideon begins with Gideon literally hiding. Now I want you to think about that in connection to what God identifies Gideon as. Gideon, when God, the angel of the Lord approaches Gideon, he is hiding He's dug into the ground away from the Midianites. And God says, you mighty warrior. Do you see that? That God identifies Gideon as a mighty warrior. And just for a moment, stop and think, is this the first time that Gideon has, was ever identified as a mighty warrior? I think it likely is. Some of us may have already read this story before in our lives, and so we know how it ends. But think about the first time that Gideon is approached by the angel of the Lord. He's frustrated. The Midianites have destroyed everything that they have. When God approaches him, he is literally hiding in this wine press, just to produce a little bit that the Midianites won't destroy. But look how he responds in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon responds with doubt, with pain, with frustration because of what the Israelites have endured up to this point. But I want you to see that Gideon literally ignores the mention of him being the Savior. Gideon doesn't respond or react to being called a mighty warrior. And I don't think it's because he he can't fathom being a part of God's rescue. It's because he doesn't see himself that way. He doesn't think there's any way that God could look at him and actually think that he could help his people. Because again, when God approaches him, he's hiding. And this is where God tells Gideon, I have a plan. And it's you. Isn't that the worst? I mean, think for just a moment. Pretend just for a moment that you are Gideon. You're hiding in this wine press. Everything that you have, everything that you want is being destroyed by the Midianites. You're in this defeated mindset out of the gate. You don't think you're good enough. You don't think that there's hope on the horizon for you. And when God finally answers the cries of your people, he comes to you and God says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? You can almost hear the groans of Gideon. Did you hear us, God? We, we needed help. God, we needed a Savior. God, we needed somebody to defeat the Midianites. And, and I feel like maybe the envelope is messed up. Maybe it's the wrong address, God. I'm actually here in this wine press hiding from the Midianites because I'm not confident enough. I don't think that I am good enough. But in Judges chapter six fifteen, look at how Gideon responds. Again, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. Now let's just be honest with each other for a moment. How many of us have felt this way at one point or another in our lives? If if you have all the confidence in the world, congratulations, you're the worst. But I think that if we were real with one another for just a little bit, we've all felt this way. I have, and I do from time to time. A few weeks ago, I was walking through the, the front of the office, and I saw somebody at the door. And they didn't ring the doorbell. They were just waiting, I suppose, which is intimidating. But as I was walking through, my periphery saw this individual, and, and they had knocked on the door when they saw me, and, and I welcomed him in. And after a few introductions, uh, he asked if he could visit my office. Now, if, if you've been in our, main, our middle building in our office, the Wortham Center, um, you can see where people park. And this individual, there was no car. And so I thought, I, I can either visit with him or he's going to stay here. This is just what's going to happen for a little bit. And, and what, what happened was, uh, I ended up having probably the weirdest 45 minutes of my week. Uh, this conversation with this stranger was all over the place. It went from uh, the National Guard to uh, football, to I mean, just a wide spectrum of things. And then it eventually uh, the conversation went to a reflection on someone else that he knew. And it went a little bit like this. Can you believe that there is this guy who is this age that is about to start working on his blank degree? Now, i had been enduring this conversation at this point for about 40 minutes. And I want to admit to all of you right now in front of God and country that I am a prideful person. I know that. I am proud of who I am, I'm proud of where, where I'm from, um, all of that. I, I talk about it a lot. I'm, I'm a very prideful person, but I also doubt myself. And in this moment, I responded with a prideful answer out of that doubt. And so I said, if you think that's impressive, go ahead and look to your right, and you can see all my degrees on the wall. I know. It got, it got a little weird for a moment. And as that, that conversation unfolded, I started to reflect, like, why did I do that? Like, what a weird thing to do. I don't know this person. To my, at that point in my life, he had just walked off the street. Why am I potentially, you know, in this intense dialogue with a stranger that literally walked off the street? But it, it's, it's because I, I doubt myself. It's because I, I want to be enough. And in this moment, this this dialogue, this person was kind of insinuating that there was no way that I could be in the position of my life that I'm in at my age. And I responded with this prideful answer, but I responded out of doubt. And I allowed the doubt and the insecurities that I have to be my representation. But I want you to see something in this story that even when we doubt ourselves, God doesn't see us that way. Look again at how God views an individual who thinks they are too small and is hiding in a wide breast. God calls Gideon a mighty warrior, even when Gideon doesn't see it. The reflection that we often see in the mirror isn't the same one that God sees. When we aren't sure of ourselves, God is. When we stumble because of our doubts, God is there to pick us up. Often we are our toughest critics. And I believe that is where Gideon is in the story. I believe that's where I am a lot in my life. Or Gideon cannot fathom being the person that God could use. Because he doesn't think he's big enough. He doesn't think he has the experience. But God, when he looks at Gideon, God sees someone that is needed and necessary for the kingdom of God. See, doubt can be this life-altering thing. Especially if we allow doubt to control and define who we are. But doubt doesn't have to disqualify us from serving God. In fact, God wants to use your doubt, use your fears. You fill in the blank, whatever you're struggling with, if you hand that over to God, God can use it. But you have to trust God. Look ahead to verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor there is only dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. Now pause right there. Because what I, what I grew up understanding is you can't test God. You can't test God. If you test God, that's a sin. If you test God, you're doubting God. But we have a story of an individual that God identifies as a mighty warrior testing God in verse 36. We overlook this story because we, we kind of cra- craft this narrative that if we doubt, we are disqualified. If we have fears or insecurities that God can't use us, but that is not what's happening in this story. So if you are doubting, if you are struggling, if you are wrestling with God, you need to know that that's okay. Because I do it, Gideon does it, we've all done it from t- some point or another in our lives. That God doesn't reject you. You're hearing this, that I believe there's this large push that if we doubt, if we question, we are disqualified. That the only people that God can use are the individuals who have it all together, who know all the answers and have it all figured out. But that's not the case. God has, God can, and God will continue to use the doubters and the strugglers for the kingdom of heaven. As Gideon presses and questions God, God does not dismiss Gideon. Like we think that he should, right? When we hear Gideon's doubt, there's so much of us that want to be like, oh, Gideon's a loser. Gideon doesn't have it together. There's no way that God can use Gideon. But that's not what God does. God works through Gideon's doubt. As I studied this story, the thing that I was the most excited about, the thing that I connected to the most, is that when Gideon presses God, when Gideon asked God to show up, God shows up. In each instance, look at God's response. Let's go to the next slide. And that is what happened. We read this story so fast, and we look at these words, and we just move on. But I want to read that last passage one more time. Go to back to 36 for me. So Gideon says this, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is only is dew only on the fleece and the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. He's testing God. God shows up. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Let's go to the next slide. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. I love this. I love this. Friends, if you're doubting, if you're struggling, if you're wrestling with God, lean into the story of Gideon. Because God does not reject Gideon when he doubts, when he struggles. Even when Gideon's like, I'm going to change up my request just a little bit, God. It's almost playful, but we've all been there, right? We've all been in those moments where we've doubted God. But what we see in the story of Gideon is that when Gideon doubts God, God provides an answer. That night, God did so. Same language. Gideon doubts God shows up. Gideon changes it a little bit to test God, just a little bit more. God shows up again. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered in dew. When we doubt, when we question, God can and God will show up. Sometimes that response is from a dry fleece, but sometimes it may be from someone showing up in your world and letting you know that you matter. You need to be ready to look for those. When you're doubting, when you're struggling, there are people trying to enter into your life, trying to speak into you hope, encouragement, strength. One of the things that I'm the, the, hard, the, the hardest thing for me to do is to accept help. But as followers of Christ, we have to be willing to be a community. And so it may be that simple text that just says, I've been thinking about you and wanted you to know that I'm thankful for you. But those reminders that we are not alone, even in our doubts, even in our struggles. See, God doesn't dismiss you or reject you in those moments or seasons. But what you do have to do is allow God to have access to, to your life. You have to let God in. That is what is so profound about this story, is that even though Gideon doubts himself, and at times doubts God, he doesn't quit. He continues to engage and dialogue with God. A a relatable example in in a church context is if you need connection and fellowship, probably don't stop going to church. (laughs) If you're like, I feel isolated, I feel alone, you need to go to a place where people care about you, that want to lean into your life, that want to help you. Look for your tribe, look for your people, and lean into those small communities and be honest with one another. Because doubt can isolate us. But if we are going to be a community of believers of Christ, we have to realize that we are all in this together. One of our favorite television shows that we have watched in the last several years is Ted Lasso. I believe it is probably one of the best television shows on right now. And with season three about to, to come back, I thought it would be appropriate to talk at the ending of this a little bit about Ted Lasso. I love it. If you've never seen it, you're dismissed. You can leave. Go watch it. Catch up. Season three's coming. But, but it's simply, it's an Apple TV comedy show about an American football coach who stumbles into a Premier League soccer job. That sentence alone should let you know there's going to be some hijinks and some disappointments. So it doesn't take long to figure out that Ted Lasso is out of his league. He essentially gets the job because the owner of the Premier League team wants to take the team. She wants to sell it. And so she needs to find somebody who is an imbecile, somebody who there is no way that this individual will have any type of success on the Premier League level. And she hires a college football coach to do this. And as you know, American football and soccer are completely different animals. As I've said, it doesn't take long for Ted Lasso to realize that he may not be cut out for this job. He's got basically one friend with him and a fellow coach, but the the team doesn't believe in him. The rest of the staff doesn't believe in him. Uh, If you're familiar with soccer hooligans, they hate him. Um, They don't like him at all. Their fans are ready to throw him out after the the, uh, introduction interview. And the only reason that he was even given the job is because people doubted him. And because of that, the show is filled with doubt, it's filled with frustration, it's filled with heartbreak, but if you've seen it, it's filled with a lot of joy, too. It's a very wholesome show. I thought it would be appropriate this morning to look at one of my favorite clips. I did a little research this week to make sure that some terms from across the, the pond... Um, <laughs> I just wanted to be careful, Um, so there's a lot of Googling this week, but I want to show one of my favorite clips, because I think it showcases how I believe God views people. To set it up, Ted has once again found himself in a situation where everyone is doubting him, but Ted believes in himself, even when everyone else around him doesn't. Let's play that clip.
1: What do you think? You're wrong. Okay. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Deuce yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh,
0: I forgot I had these on me.
1: Oh, oh wait a second. I forgot I'm left-handed. <gasps> oh, was oh, going to be a
0: hoop. Yes! Yes! 100 and
1: William Rupert, get it. Hey. Better manners when I'm holding the dart. What do I need to win? Two triple 20s and a (laughs) bullseye. Good luck. Mm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you yeah. know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away.
0: So, again, I'd encourage you to watch that, but I I love this clip because it represents a lot of us. It's certainly a lot about how we view others, but often more so how we view ourselves. It's easy for us to look in the mirror and think there's no way that we add up to our friends, our colleagues, whoever you may find yourself around. But instead of worrying about what the world thinks about us or being too critical on ourselves, It might do us a lot of good to attempt to see ourselves the way that God sees us, as enough. Like Gideon, God views us as mighty warriors even when we can't see it. God has equipped us and prepared us and placed people in our lives to encourage us so that we too can say, why not me? Let's stand and sing together.